0: Um, which is, um, it's, it's quite timely this morning. Where, um, I'm going to be talking about false prophets uh, this morning. So it's nice that I've uh, uh, unrestrained, no one here to check what I'm saying, which is, which is nice. I can finally reveal my master plan. Um, uh, any, uh, any bakers here this morning? Anyone like baking cakes? Very good. Any fans of the Great British Bake Off? I'm a big fan. Um, I'm not sure if anyone saw um, Biscuit Week the other week. They had uh, a challenge where they had to create a biscuit that didn't look like a biscuit. So one contestant created one that looked like a burger, which was very, very impressive. And uh, this is a whole thing, uh, creating illusion cakes, cakes that don't look like cakes and look like other things. And this is um, the the best example I could find of this, which is a Japanese game show called Candy or Not Candy. I've got a clip which uh, has already been spoiled this morning. So some of you might have seen a bit of it already, but yeah. Uh, let's roll this clip and uh, see what this uh, Japanese game show is about. Excellent. See, so that is, uh, you're all now versed in, in candy or not candy, where uh, they, those are Japanese celebrities are given a, a variety of objects and have to d- determine whether they're real or made out of uh, chocolate or sugar. Um, and I just love that in, gi- in this church, you've got sort of Ian and John coming up with you know, very normal football references that everyone understands, and I'm coming in here with uh, esoteric Japanese game shows to, just to keep everyone on their toes nice to have a bit of variety uh, in church but, um, as you can see in this clip all is not as it appears to be um, and this is what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning as we continue our series on, on Sermon on the Mount um, so if you want to turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 7 verses 15 to 23 um, it should appear on the screen um, and it says, Jesus continues uh, this, his Sermon on the Mount teaching, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So on, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So this is a nice light subject, which I was uh, lucky enough to uh, uh, to get the, uh, to be rotated on this morning to, uh, to bring to you all. So um, this is a, uh, a warning from Jesus. Um, people who appear to be real are not. Um, and all they might be, they look uh, sweet and enticing. Um, they don't have any nutritional value, just like the, uh, the candy that we've just seen uh, being eaten on the clip. So first off, what is a prophet? Who are the people? Uh, Jesus returning to referring to Um, and I think if we go back to the prophets of the Old Testament we see a prophet as someone who speaks on behalf of God and we see examples in the Old Testament of prophets bringing fresh revelation they have a new thing from God to bring to his people but also those that are actually reinforcing God's commands uh, through teaching uh, reminding Israel of their covenant promise uh, they made with God so I think in this context, we can take the broadest definition of a prophet here and include those who are in spiritual leadership who preach and teach. And a genuine or true teacher or prophet in this context, I think is someone who is earnestly seeking God and humbly sharing and proclaiming the truth that they have in Jesus, in his word, the Bible, for Jesus' glory's sake. So we're, uh, we're doing it out of a sense to, to magnify the glory of God and to point to someone better, as we've been saying. Uh, we have a better story to tell. So when Jesus refers to a false prophet in this context, I think um, he's talking about any spiritual leader who's proclaiming to be a follower of Jesus, but instead of doing it earnestly for God, they act in their own self-interest. They're trying to maximize their own status, their own wealth, their own way, and not ultimately Jesus's. And Jesus uses quite a graphic uh, image in terms of, he refers to them as ravaging wolves and sheep's clothing. Um, So we have this image of this very hungry wolf who just all they want to do is eat and fill their belly, but who is presenting to us in sheep's clothing. On the outside, they look and claim to be a true follower of Christ. And ultimately, we know that this selfish self-prioritization is incompatible with the life that Jesus has called us into. He's invited us into something more. And so, false prophets and teachers, even ones who sound like they know their stuff and will say the right things, will eventually begin to twist Jesus' teachings to fit their own narrative and agendas. And what Jesus is talking about here is that these false prophets, who appear to be legit, legitimate, uh, begin to lead people away from Jesus, uh, to, them, to bring them closer to themselves, to separate them from the rest of the flock, and eventually to devour them. Um, and so, if we set this passage in its full of context, um, uh, we remember Ian was talking uh, last week about uh, Jesus saying what it means to follow Jesus through the narrow gate onto the narrow path. Um, and if you weren't here, or uh, you can't remember what Ian was saying last week, um, saying that Jesus was laying out a choice for all that who are listening, then and today, they've got the broad path, easy path that we find most people walking. Um, that leads to death and destruction we have the narrow path through the narrow gate that is Jesus where due to his abundant grace poured out for us on the cross we get to live in all the fullness and wholeness promised to us by Jesus and live eternally with him but there is a cost, there is a, uh, a challenge that we have going on at the narrow path because we need to put Jesus before everything else in our life remain focused on Jesus And that means denying or dropping those things in our lives that aren't from Him. Because on the broad path, there's sin, weighing people down. And as you get further and further down the path, you see the weight of the sin on people's shoulders getting heavier and heavier. And eventually, it's so heavy that they can't get back up. But on the narrow path, Jesus says He says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. We don't need anything on the narrow path other than to follow Jesus. So if we put this warning from Jesus into the, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying here that we will see people claim that they're on the narrow path to have entered through the narrow gate that is Jesus, but who are actually taking the border path. And they say, hey, come, come, um, come down here. It's easy down here. You don't actually have to do all those things that you think you have to do on, on the narrow path don't need to take up your cross as jesus has and i could be saying i could be doing that I could Be saying oh that ian fell you don't need to listen to him all of his the things that he's saying all you need to do is is follow what i'm saying don't you don't need to listen to him he's it's too complicated it's too much just do what i do what i what i'm doing and uh you can buy my course for the the cheap cheap price of 49.99 Uh, this is a warning from Jesus, he says, be on your guard because they will come, expect them, learn how to spot them, and reject their teaching and continue to follow the path laid out by Jesus. So Jesus gives us this simple image to help us discern whose teaching we listen to, because he uses fruit, and uh, no Japanese game shows were available at the time of Jesus, unfortunately, but I'm sure he would have used the same illustration if it were available. Um, but he says, some trees produce good fruit and some that produce bad. A bad tree can't produce good fruit and vice versa. So if we look at the fruit the leader is producing, we can see where their motivations lie and whether we can safely follow them as they point towards Jesus. But what is fruit? What are we talking about here? What are we trying to objectively measure against? What are we comparing uh, the life of a leader to? Um, later we read in Matthew 12, uh, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And the Pharisees claim that Jesus is working with the powers of hell, and Jesus rebukes them, saying in verse 33, Either make the tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storm of good, an evil person produces evil things from his store of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. We've seen in other passages in the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus talks about heart issues, our broken, fallen hearts, which is where he says our sin originates. Um, And Jesus, we've talked about these uh, examples of violence and adultery, uh, sins that begin in our hearts um, and in the way that we think before any outside action occurs. Um, And Jesus teaches the same here. So from from the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. That's where the origin of uh, of our actions and ultimately our sin comes from. So actually when Jesus is talking about good and bad trees here, we can see if we can think of the roots of those trees as our hearts. We know that only God can actually see our hearts. We can't, I can't can't stand in front of Ian and actually know what's in Ian's hearts. That we only have what the fruit that Ian is producing to be able to test whether we think that he's following Jesus or not. So yes, Jesus here talks specifically about the words that we can speak. um, But I don't know about you, I can, lots of sin happens in my heart without me having to utter a single word. So actually, I think actually Jesus is asking us to evaluate everything, our words, our actions, and more importantly, the, the effects that those actions have on those around us. In some way, when we're looking for someone to point us to Jesus, we're looking for an evidence of a transformed life. That's not easy. I can't follow Ian around every day, checking up on him. If I go to a conference, I might be hearing speakers that I've, only, I've not seen before, I've not heard from before. So although I think Jesus is speaking about a whole life transformed, I think there are some uh, three very simple checks that we can do when we encounter someone claiming to be um, a teacher uh, speaking about Jesus. So number one, their teaching, number two, their lifestyle, and number three, uh, the effects that we see um, of, of both of those. So someone who is following Jesus and taking some kind of role of leadership um, should care about accuracy. We want to give Jesus' words and commands the highest honor that they deserve. Um, And we're very, very fortunate um, at this time in this country that we have unrestricted access, the largest amount of biblical literature, uh, the most number of Bible translations, the most commentaries, the most recorded sermons available for free online. It's probably too much choice out there uh, for us to be able to discern what's good and bad, but um, no longer am I standing uh, here this morning. Would be pleased to learn um, preaching um, about a Bible that's written in Latin, um, as was 600 years ago. So when I stand up here and says, uh, "Hey, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Word of God says." You can actually, actually, you can check it. You all have access to it, and you can see the words that I'm speaking. Do they uh, align with what your Bible is saying? That's actually a relatively recent sort of ability that we have, and praise God that we have it. It's very, very important for us as leaders and teachers um, to be accountable in our teaching, uh, which is why you can and should ask questions um, when there's something you're not sure of, if there's something you don't understand, you can't understand where we've got something from. Um, I don't always have the answers. Uh, Sometimes I'll point you in the direction of a trustworthy Christian writer where I've taken inspiration from. Or sometimes we'll have to set, set, actually sit down together and wrestle with the scripture together. And actually, you know, there's, there's different things that we can from gather from this. Um, I would say, as a point of advice, um, coming up after the service with your 15-point critique probably isn't the best time. Um, but there is, a, there is always a, a good time to discuss these things. So we are absolutely open to uh, talking those things with you. Um, and I have to be honest, um, Anyone struggle to understand what the Bible's saying sometimes? Sometimes I'm I'm reading it and it's it's gobbledygook. So we're even more fortunate to have God's spirit within us to help us read, interpret and understand God's word. We have the God who breathes life into his word in us at all times to be able to help when we're reading the Bible and trying to understand it. But we also have each other I can go to Ian and John and go, hey, what do we think this means? What do we think? What's this saying? That's why our learning value here at Oasis um, Community Church uh, is one of our in, so our inwardly focusing direction when we're with other believers. That's why we pair it with our community values. So we have learning and community because learning happens best in community. Not only can we ch- test our learning with one another, but we can see how we're applying it practically. Uh, in our lives, so there is a danger here. that If we disagree with anything that anyone says, we can go stand back. False prophet! This is what you're the kind of people that Jesus warned us against. I want nothing to do with you. Go away. Go and, and we're going to go and do our own thing over here. Ooh, these guys, these guys, uh, a bit too much into Mary. Not sure about this. Go over here. Ooh, these guys are a bit too excited on a Sunday morning. Not sure about that. I will go over here. Oh, these guys brought an electric guitar on a Sunday morning. Not sure about that. Get over here. Suddenly we're very, very distanced from our other brothers and sisters. Yes, we have valid reasons why we don't all meet in one big church. We need to make sure that we agree on the fundamentals. Not everyone does, even still to this day. I disagree personally with a lot of name-brand pastors out there on a number of things, but I'm not going to be calling them false prophets or false teachers unless they say something that denies who Jesus is, and that's really the, the ultimate test. We all have different experiences of God and different perspective, and that is a good thing th- this morning. There will be nothing worse than just a sea of Philip Howells here this morning. First off, it will be very, very annoying. Um, but uh, th- there's actually something good in the diversity of our opinions and our thoughts. The smaller differences in who we see Jesus is and how Jesus is interacting with our lives, they keep us on our toes. The Bible says as people go together, uh, as iron sharpens iron, we're supposed to be bub- uh, bumping up and, and rubbing it and, sounds a bit wrong, um, we're supposed to be uh, challenging our the- theological uh, differences together, not separating going, actually I'm going to go over here because you don't, this very, very specific thing that I believe. We're meant to be with other believers, learning together, sharpening one another, as we all try to live life following Jesus. So that's number one, teaching. Number two uh, is lifestyle. So there are sometimes, and again, going back, this is a relatively new thing where we actually have access to God's word, where actually we don't actually have the ability to verify someone's teaching for whatever reason. Uh, we don't have the resources or the space. Um, sometimes, I, you know, if someone's talking about end-time theology, I'm a bit lost, I'm a bit stuck, and I could probably, probably take the time to actually investigate it. But you know, I've got young family and, and uh, things, other things to be doing for the, for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, which is why uh, we don't just listen to someone's teaching, we look at someone's lifestyle as well. Is this person living as you would expect as a follower of Christ? Do they model Christ-likeness in all facets of their life? Are they modeling servanthood as a leader, as Jesus demonstrated? Do their words match up with our actions? We know how much Jesus detested hypocrisy from the religious leaders of of the time. So we should be extra vigilant um, with hypocrisy today. And what's interesting about this is that for you to actually see my lifestyle, I actually have to invite you into my life. You actually have to see what I'm like, not just on a Sunday morning, which is not always the done thing in in churches today. I could arrive in my flashy uh, Porsche outside, preach for an hour, amaze you with the the eloquence of my words, probably not this morning, um, and then drive off uh, in a cloud of smoke and uh, come back again for another hour next Sunday. You wouldn't see what the rest of my week looked like. And, And as a leader, this is really tough. I don't know how anyone would want to sit here this morning who's seen me try and hopelessly fail to parent my kids. Because we all make mistakes, we're all fallen. And there is grace given to us by Jesus. And we've heard about trying to pull the speck out of, the dust out of someone else's eye, whilst trying to take the plank of, out of our own. So there is grace as we live as believers. We need to be, be gentle with one another. But there should be, as I stand up here today, there should be consistency in my lifestyle that points to Jesus. Some effort to die to myself, to put Jesus first and live a sold out life for him. And you can only see that, how I act with people, how I spend my time, how I spend my money. And leaders should be opening up their lives for those who are listening in ways to allow that to happen, modeling humble servanthood as Jesus instructed. And this is one of the issues with with Christian celebrity culture. Because by nature, we can't know the lifestyles of those whose writings and content we want to consume. This has led to many problems where we put too much emphasis on these celebrities. And that's not to say that we can't consume that content, we can't read those books, we can't get that teaching. But it's important that we find a reputable person who has spent time with that leader, who can validate those claims, to make sure that they are living a life for Jesus. And I think so many painful episodes in the church uh, could be avoided if we followed this principle. The third, and, and arguably the simplest and most effective check we can do, is look around at the effects that the leader's having. Who are they leading? Are, they, are those people flourishing in Jesus? Are they growing in their faith? Um, th- later on in Matthew, um, Jesus is uh, rebuking the Pharisees again, uh, Matthew 23. In verse 8, he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either, because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. As leaders, we're called to model and demonstrate Jesus' love practically in the way that points to Jesus and not ourselves. Infectiously spreading to those who are willing to listen, who also want to follow Jesus in the same way. If we're not doing it, if we're not demonstrating it, then you shouldn't have to do it either. And this check Um, that we can do is the most effective because we know um, some people who want to deliberately mislead or unintentionally mislead, they can say the right things. They can show you the right things about their lifestyle. They can be very deliberate in terms of what parts of their lifestyle they want to um, open up. But you can't fake with a genuine passion to follow Jesus and walk the path he set before us. Um, I just want to take a a quick detour, very quickly, just talk about... um, uh, Christian leaders are found to be sort of um, um, caught in, in traps of sin because um, there's a bit of an epidemic in the church at the moment. Uh, leaders getting caught up in, in scandals, um, ca- accounts of misuse of power, spiritual abuse, uh, sexual sin, and a whole lot more. And for those of us who have been influenced by these individuals, this is a difficult time as we try and reconcile the teaching we've received with the impact that that person has had. This has happened with me really recently. Um, some of you would have heard about the allegations about Mike, about Mike Pilavachi, um, some of which have now been substantiated by the committee investigating it. Um, and I went to Soul Survivor every summer growing up, consistently hearing Mike's teaching. This has been really, really difficult for me to process. And how do I reconcile this new reality? And this is likely to come up again. We're in a broken world. I'm still broken and my various uh, character flaws will still cause me issues. I was speaking to a friend the other day about um, the Mike Pettibachi situation, Um, and this friend was looking to go into ministry a long time ago, Um, and he was reflecting that maybe God has actually stopped him doing that because there was potentially an even greater catastrophe that he was going to do if actually God had magnified the, the ministry that he had. We don't know how we would always act given those positions of power and influence. These times are really painful for us, but we need to test what is really going on in these situations. So I don't think we need to throw out the good teaching in these scenarios, but we need to reflect on and be mindful of the effects of those those leaders' sin in those situations. Because there's gonna be handfuls of broken people um, left over sometimes more than who were ever encouraged and inspired by those leaders in the first place. Sin is sin against God, but people are caught in the crossfire 99% of the time and left hurting. And as a leader, that ability to hurt is multiplied. And as a spiritual leader, it's exponential and has eternal consequences, which is why Jesus is ringing the alarm so loudly in this passage. not to make too light of this point but these are ultimately the tools of the enemy of the devil Jesus says that those are not for him are against him and not every false teacher or false prophet as Jesus is saying is a secret devil worshipper they don't go to church on a Sunday morning and then you know put the cloak on at home get the candles out master master plan on the wall they're actually just, just people, regular people that are just interested in themselves And that's the the clever thing is that the enemy will use that. And probably it's more effective as it's more subtle than anything overt would be. Back into Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So we've done the three checks. Teaching, lifestyle, effects. Something that is not a check, and this is kind of my, like a um, bit of a shock, are, are miracles. They're not part of the verification criteria that Jesus gives us. And I don't understand this, but all I can say is God's kingdom is so important He uses broken people to deliver it, sometimes even when those people are acting selfishly. For our sake, He still comes in His power and fullness, despite us, despite our weaknesses. In these moments, we need to become disciplined when we see God moving in His power to ascribe that glory to God and not to the leader at the time. So many times I've heard of great ministries where we see God move, and it always talks about the people leading it and standing up at the front and not about Jesus, not about God because even Jesus here is saying that that is not a stamp of approval of those that are in charge so even Jesus did miracles but Jesus also lived a sacrificial life and ultimately died on the cross to clear our debt and to give us a new chance and a new relationship with God and I think this is best demonstrated through Simon Peter's relationship with Jesus. He witnessed all of those miracles. He saw the great things that Jesus had done. He walked alongside him, spoke with him, was friends with him. And yet in the end, he still denied him. And what Simon Peter needed most at the end was forgiveness from Jesus. He also declared his love for Jesus and Jesus charged him with looking after his sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. as a natural kind of response to this, I was thinking do I bear fruit? What would people say if they saw my teaching, my lifestyle? The effects that I have on those around me? I think there are some practical things that we're exploring as a church, how we can live our lives to intentionally point those around us to Jesus. Whatever stage they're on, if they Uh, even if they they despise church there are still things that we can do in our lives if they're a new believer there are things if they've been a believer for 20 years there's still things that we can do but it starts with us going through the narrow gate that is Jesus and as Ian said last week the further along the path we go with Jesus the more and more we begin to look like him But I think there's some stern words just as a reminder this morning. Jesus says, I never knew you. To those that have never taken the time to get to know him. Do we know Jesus this morning? And if we don't, for whatever reason, how can we start to get to know Jesus? Because ultimately, if I'm standing here this morning and saying, hey, this is who Jesus is, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to know if what I'm saying is true or not. So that's the best defense. All those, yes, we can practically apply the scripture. Yes, we can practically look at someone's lifestyle. But if we know who Jesus is, we can say, we can um, see when someone is is proclaiming and also has that same relationship. So um, I've got a couple of discussion questions this morning, which should appear on the screen. Um, So yeah, just take uh, 10 minutes or so just to unpack this with those around you and have a a conversation. Or if you just want to reflect by yourself. um, So first off, are there any Christian authors, writers, thinkers, or anyone that you're following who you actually haven't scrutinized thoroughly? Um, If you look at some of the advice that Paul gives to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy uh, 3, Oh, that's, that's actually incorrect. Hold on, let me we um, check that that scripture. Um, number three: Do we know Jesus personally? What can we do if we don't? How can I be fruitful in the places that God has called me? So, just going to take some time just to uh, reflect this morning. So, just we'll put some music on uh, if you just want to uh, have a conversation and just go through those questions. And I will confirm that Timothy passage, which I don't think which is correct. Um, so yeah, have a have a chat with those around you.